Slow me down, oh Lord, slow me down. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, amen. The summer before I was ordained, I spent a very intensive eight weeks doing something called CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. It's a requirement of ordination in our denomination. And CPE can be completed in a number of ways, most frequently in a hospital, serving on a team of other chaplains, combining an opportunity to interact and support patients, while also doing a fairly deep dive into a time of self-reflection and spiritual growth. Each of us was assigned to a specific floor or unit that we visited every afternoon. And I was assigned to the perinatal unit and invited into the lives of pregnant women who had to be hospitalized at some point and then usually remain there until the birth of their child. In addition to the time on the floor and in class, we were also required to do a lot of reading, and writing and reflecting. Our final project at the end of our time in CPE was to be a narrative of whatever we discerned had been one of our most significant learnings. Most people took that as writing a paper. Well, perhaps it won't surprise you that instead of writing a paper, I did this. I created a box. I created a box that inside had some of the reminders of who I have been and who I want to be as a priest and as a child of God in the rest of my life. I'll leave this up here this morning and you can come and look at it. But I, this morning, in the light of our gospel, want to share two things that are in it. This is a picture of Christine Nicole Hawks, a beautiful six-week-old baby taken on the last night of her life as her young parents and I stood together in the neonatal intensive care unit. Moments later, she was taken off of life support. This is the size of one of the diapers that was used during the first six weeks of her life. In times like those, on a night like that, no amount of theological training can equip you for the level and intensity of that kind of a devastating experience. Christine had been born prematurely to first-time parents who were quickly thrown into a world that no one should ever have to navigate. Still, every day, her tender, faithful parents came to see their only child, her entire life was spent in an incubator. Her parents never had a chance to hold her, but still they came 
and with gloves on and through two little teeny openings, were able to caress her. I wasn't there every time that they came, but I was there enough times that on that evening, when they were told it was time to say goodbye, they had me paged, and I got to be with them. And what I still remember most about that night all these years later was simply how useless I felt. Here I was, a freshly minted seminarian on the eve of being ordained a priest with nearly 15 years of religious schooling. Yeah, that's a time for a story for another day. Training internships and now serving as a hospital chaplain. And I didn't have a single answer to the questions that were pouring out of them. Questions like, why is God punishing us? What could we have done differently? And if there is a God, how could he let this happen? All these years later, I still remember how inadequate I felt that night, in part because I was young and foolish enough to think that articulating answers to those kinds of questions could offer even a modicum of comfort or relief. I was stupid enough and young enough to think that being a professional religious person meant that I had to figure out how to defend God or at least find the right words to keep people from feeling angry or devastated or abandoned or hopeless. And truth be told, I think I was also just arrogant enough to think that I could do something or say something to ease a kind of pain that I know now can only be shared and lived through, never fixed or fated or even fully understood. And I have since learned that being a priest simply means instead that all of us are called to make space for anything and everything we experience along the way. Our roles all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our roles are to be spiritual companions wherever the journey leads us, even and maybe especially when the journey takes us to places where answers are in short supply. We need all of us to find and make meaning in our lives. It's how we're wired. And when something tragic happens or even something much less dramatic, it is still a natural response to ask why, and even to go one step further wondering what we did or didn't do to cause or explain what otherwise simply makes no sense and leaves us feeling sometimes helpless or hopeless or at least disoriented. All of us, I suspect, have found ourselves at different times searching for answers or reasons to explain why or how things have gone at times. We are cause and effect driven people, wanting control and needing to believe that we can influence our lives for good and take care of those we love. So when those things are questioned or challenged, the narrative or story of our lives can feel in jeopardy. Over the centuries, people have superimposed that inclination onto God, asking the question, how does a good God let bad things happen? 
There's a word for that in theological circles. It's called theodicy. And it's been the focus of countless philosophers and theologians for thousands of years. And truth be told, no one really has it all figured out. But this morning, I don't want to talk about theories or theological concepts. I want to try and keep it as real as I can. I want to step away from pontifications and ruminations of philosophers and theologians and instead turn to Jesus and look at what is happening in the Gospel of Luke that we just heard to see if what is happening there just maybe, maybe can help us with our questions and our all-too-common reality. What does Jesus have to say when we ask questions like, why is there so much suffering in my life or in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Does God cause suffering? And is suffering some form of punishment or retribution? I think the gospel invites us into at least three things today, and maybe some partial answers. First, we hear that suffering is not a form of punishment. If there is anything we can take away from Jesus' sharp retort to his audience, it's that suffering, devastation, and loss are not God's punishment for sin. He says, do you really think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, you all a hot mess. You all a hot mess. And just to make sure the crowd is listening and gets the point, Jesus goes one step further to offer a second example of people who were killed when a tower fell on them, asking again, do you think that those fools were any worse offenders than all of the others living in Jerusalem? No. Y'all a hot mess too. The second thing that is revealed in this gospel lesson is just because suffering is not punishment, it doesn't mean that it's disconnected entirely from sin. We've talked about this, and we'll talk about this again. This is my little plug. Come upstairs for our last adult forum today. We're going to talk about that. If sin, at least in part, is what separates us from pure love, from the intent that God inherits in us from birth, then Pilate's murderous acts of terror, as well as the horrific actions that we all watched with disbelief, in New Zealand recently, all of that can be labeled as sinful and needs to be called out and confronted. Hate has consequences, and there are all kinds of bad behaviors that contribute to much of the misery in the world. And the more that we can confront that hate and call that sinful, perhaps suffering can decrease. Part of our journey of faith is a call to find the courage and conviction to speak up and to stand against any and all who threaten the dignity and respect of every man, woman, and child. Someone say amen. All right, thank you. Finally, 
And very importantly, this is what we can say about this passage this morning. God neither causes nor delights in suffering and calamity. And this is where the parable of the fig tree comes in. Most people over the years have read this parable allegorically, assuming that the landowner is God and the gardener is Jesus. But nowhere in Luke do we find a picture of an angry, vindictive God that needs to be placated by a friendly Jesus. Think about it. Just a quick survey of the Gospel of Luke tells us something very different about the charism and nature and quality of God portrayed throughout the Gospel. Two examples. Jesus portrays God as a loving Father who scans the horizon day in and day out, waiting for his wayward son to come home. And then when he does, does not reprimand him, but throws him a kick-ass party. And then we hear of God compared to a woman who, after sweeping her house all night, looking for that little teeny lost coin, actually throws a party that I'm sure costs way more than the value of the coin in order to celebrate finding it. That is a wickedly awesome and generous and life-giving picture of God. So given Luke's consistent picture of God, I wonder if it wouldn't be more helpful to think about the landowner as representing our own sense of how the world should be, and the gardener as the God of love, and the tree as our truest selves. Think about it. I've thought about it a lot in the case of sweet baby Christine and her parents. These newborn parents needed to love that baby that they would never be able to bring home. And they understandably wanted answers explaining why that would never be. There were no answers, and instead they were given companions and friends and maybe even the gift of realizing that pain is something that is very real and shared and survived only by grace and only over time. Each of us is a tree at some stage of the growth cycle. And I suspect that depending on what we want from God, this message today may or not, may, maybe not sound like good news. I've wondered about Christine's parents over the years, and I pray that whether or not they have other children, or maybe are even still together, that each of them has learned we cannot make life safe or God tame, and yet still sometimes it's gospel enough. The gift for us today in this community is the simple and life-changing reminder that God's answer to sin of any kind isn't punishment, but love. Bad things do happen to good people all the time. More often than not, we will be left struggling, trying to make meaning of things that simply cannot be fixed or always understood. And in spite of the pain and confusion we feel at times, we are promised a path tended to by a gardener that always believes in us 
We can look for inspiration in the image of a gardener giving us chances to bloom and bear fruit, even in spite of our worst mistakes. And no matter how inadequate we may feel to others or even to ourselves, in the end, there is always another chance, another choice, another narrative, a different way to make meaning in our lives. It is the way that relies on courage and compassion and connection rather than judgment and certainty and fear. May each of us find the way to that path, trusting that we are not alone and that the call to repent can be an invitation to turn around and to go and look into our most vulnerable and truest God-given selves. Suffering and injustice do not have the last words in our lives. May we be free enough to bear the fruit intended for the world. We are needed and we are wanted in this world just as we are. May it be so.